and welcome to our very first episode of Warhammer 40k Book Club. So this one's kind of exciting because Carrie and I got together and we decided that we have two loves in life, comics and Warhammer 40k books. We already have a podcast about comics, but it kind of dawned on us that there's like a million comics podcasts. That's not going to stop us, but there's a lot of noise out there. And so it's really cool because we can listen to ours, we can listen to other people's, and you can really get a cool kind of community around it, I guess, so to speak. There's really not a lot in terms of Warhammer. There are, I mean, there are some, don't get me wrong, but there's not a lot like around the books and the lore. And we basically needed an excuse to justify the number of books that we buy in a year. So hi, everyone. Well, I didn't really need an excuse. I mean, I was going to do it regardless. Well, yes, exactly. But at least now I have like a purpose exactly like we're, we're buying like tons and tons of books for a reason so here we are tonight our very first episode uh what we're going to be doing going forward now is that we have our website warhammer 40k book club wh40k bookclub.com and every month we will post the book that we're reading and then at the end of the month we will then post our podcast in which we talk about the questions that we pose on the website and anything else that pops into our mind this month, we read Dark Imperium by Guy Haley, and we're going to be diving into it tonight. This episode's going to be a little bit longer than our normal episodes will be, only because we're going to do kind of a brief introduction to talk about kind of who we are and our experience with Warhammer and kind of how we got into this as a hobby. Um, so, should I start? Go for it. All right. So well, because you got into it first, so. I did. So... Back in the day, um, my husband and I actually met because we had a mutual love of RTS games like uh, Warcraft and Starcraft. That's important information to know because we were playing WoW for several years uh, from like 2004 to 2007, right before Burning Crusade. I will always remember the year because it was right before Burning Crusade came out. We had been in a high run guild and everybody kind of got bored with it. And a bunch of the people in the guild were like, oh, let's go back and play Dawn of War. And I, we had never heard of it before. So we started playing it. and. I think I made some really asinine comment about how I was like, oh, Blizzard calls, they want their money back for StarCraft, and everybody in our in our chat, um, I can't remember what program we were using now, but I think it was Ventrilo, everybody was just like, oh my god, no, that's not the case! And so they directed us to go to the bookstore, and we picked up the Ultramarines omnibus, and we both read it and just fell in love with it, and then we, let's see, what do we, we read Eisenhorn next, I think, and then we started ordering all the Gaunt's Ghost book directly from Black Library. Well, back in 2007, it was really, really expensive to order from the Black Library, like more than it is now. Um, and shipping, it's like a slow boat from China. And I think we spent like $30 in shipping to get like four books. Um, but it was totally worth it. <laughs> so we have just kind of been, there was a point where I honestly think we had probably read 90% of what the Black Library had out at the time. It's like, there's so many books out now because um, my husband reads the Warhammer fantasy. I don't really. So um, this will be primarily a Warhammer 40k uh, podcast only because the books that I've read in the Warhammer fantasy, I'm good. I, I'm not a big fantasy person, honestly. I'm more of a sci-fi person than a fantasy person. The funny thing is I'm actually more of a fantasy person. But I like the Space Marines. Like I actually, I played a total Warhammer Sorry, Total War Warhammer. Mm-hmm. And I, the, and it dawned on me, no pun intended, I was like, oh, this is the fantasy. Oh. 
I'm already bored. <laughs> you know, and it, I'm not saying it's a bad game. It's just, you know, uh, I'm there for, I'm there for the space marines, not exactly the trolls and, the, no, there's no trolls, the dwarves, the dwarves. I was, I was trying to say dwarves and it came out trolls like you know just the dwarves faction and the humans and then dealing with the orcs and like ugh, Don't no Skaven. I would like to forget the Skaven I really would because I reviewed um was it Warhammer Vermintide Verminitide uh, Vermintide no yeah. yeah I'm good it's just it's just as much as I like fantasy it's just that's just not one that jives with me and I'm yeah, not a huge sci-fi person. And this, I'm in this. Right. And so you and I, let's see, you and I have been friends for what, seven, eight years now? And when did Space Marine come out? Because I think that was really your first experience. That was mine. Because right? it was um, E3 2011, uh, back when I was writing for a site called Games Are Evil. And... Um, I think you and I were just talking on Twitter then, but we didn't meet. We didn't meet until 2012. Right. The right, E3 2012. But anyway, so we got in our badges and we're walking down the hall and there was these um, huge banners. Like every year at E3, there's a certain hall and they have these huge banners directly overhead. And they're usually all for the same game. It's going all the they way were down. Amazing. Yeah. And it goes all the way down to different banners for the same game. And then they have it in reverse going back. So you can always see it. And what they had, they had um, Space Marine. There. Well, all I see is this, you know, obvious space marine, because I was really into Halo at the time, charging into orcs with um, a sword. I saw it was called Space Marine, and I turned to my friend Ross, and I was just like, my God, could they come up with a more generic name than Space Marine? See, once again, Snark. Right. And he was like, you don't know about Warhammer 40k? I was like, no, what's that? He goes, do not knock this until you try it. Like, okay, so the next morning when we got in, that was the first game that we went to. And I was in love, like, immediately. And so he started telling me that, you know, it's this really rich lore, and, it, you know, it's been going on for many, 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 many years. It started off, you know, as a tabletop game, and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I played the game, and the game made me sad. Like, I was like, I can't believe it ended that way. And then, and everyone I told that to, the response was the same. That's Warhammer for you. I'm like, yep. well, what is that supposed to mean? And so I think it was when Jen and I really started talking and I learned there was books. And so uh, she recommended I start with Eisenhorn. I got Eisenhorn. I started the first book probably about three or four times and I just could not get past the first chapter. And so um, then Jen said, why don't you start with Ultramarines, since you already know that faction because of Space Marine. And so then I went there, and that and the rest is history. Read all of that, read Eisenhorn, started buying other books. A uh, Citadel moved into uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I've gone there now like three times, and I think each time I've spent well over $100 in books each time. And do I have read them all? No, but you know, I have goals and I can't help it when I go there and it's like, oh, look, this shiny. Oh my gosh, they have this one in hardback. Why we have a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, so the um, other thing that I, so for a while there, because like to your point, we would buy all these books and then like either my husband would be reading them or we would run out of books. 
For a while there, I was even, like, downloading PDFs of the codices. Because I was like, oh, yay, there's a codex! Because the codexes were actually kind of cool, and that is where Graham McNeil actually got his start. A lot of these authors started oh, really? writing codexes. Yeah. And so there would be, like, these, like, big... It would be, like, all the rules and stuff, but then there would be these just swaths of information about the Primarchs and the Legions and what was so cool about them. And so, yeah, for a while there, that's what I was using to... Get your fix. Get my fix. Uh, Now we have Amazon. Uh, And the Black Library... Should mention we're not affiliated with the Black Library, um, which is probably an important thing to say, as I'm about to say. Well, you can probably tell we don't have British accents. That, too. Yeah. Um, But they need to get their act together because their stuff is still so damn expensive. Um, Thank you, Amazon. So, but... Here we are at Dark Imperium. Um, So if you, which of course you did, you've gone to the website already and you've looked along with our questions, naturally. There's still time, I promise. Um, First off, did you like the book? I did. I did. Um, It was slow at first. Like, I was kind of bored in the beginning. (laughs) And it wasn't until that first chapter of uh, Gulaman kind of uh, going over what it's been like since he was revived. Right. That really got me a lot, lot more interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I loved parts of it. Um, I thought it was, it was a little slow too. And, you know, I think my biggest complaint, and I think we'll talk about this later, um, is how much page space and headspace they devote so you have reboot Gilliman and you have um primera space marines and you spent like four whole pages of waffling about is the emperor a god is he not a god like if you needed to chew page space you could have literally just described the some of the space marines in here and i would have been a much happier person i don't know i think that was important though it was but like We'll talk about this at the uh, at the the end probably, but the end when they're sitting there and they're like, "Here's the Doomsday device. Let's destroy it." But first, is the Emperor really a god? I don't know. I don't know. That really, I was like, "Oh my god!" Cut to the chase, you guys. There's so many more things you could be talking about right now. See, I took that as a sign of um, the warp casting doubt in his mind, and it could be, and that's why he started immediately just obsessing. Right. Because then he yelled out loud, he is not a god. And his priest said, are you all right, my lord? And that was what snapped him back into focus and was able to complete the task. Yeah, for sure. I think he, uh, well, we'll talk about that a little bit here. And my hair is not cooperating right now, so we're just going to keep it down. Um, We'll talk about that here in a bit. What was your your favorite part of the book? Uh, Parts? Yeah, I mean, the sad thing is, though, is if I say it's my favorite, it's, they're, they're not, like, good. I mean, like, as in good things are happening for people. Right, that's fair. Um, I guess probably my favorite was actually one of the saddest parts, and it was, um, Marnius Calgar, um, in his head. Uh, Because there's a couple chapters where he was talking about, you know, um, revering 
glue them on. Um, yeah, let me pull this, pull this up. Uh, yeah, where he's like, you know, really analyzing him as a hero, you know, because, you know, they get told all this, you know, they believed these stories about him for, what, 10,000 years. And they, you know, they believe he's descended from a god. And so, in many ways, like, he's having, he's having issues of, you know, reconciling the fact that, you know, he is, he is a man. And mm -hmm. while Marnius has felt like he's done a really good job as a chapter master, which I would agree with him, I think he really has. Here comes in Gulaman, who is just like, okay, so um, this is not how it was 10,000 years ago. And so I'm just going to like swipe everything right off the table. Right. And Marnie's like, okay, that's cool, because you're a Primarch, and you are our hero, and I understand what you're doing, but at the same time, he's having a hard time letting go of control, which I think anybody would. And he goes back and forth, he's like, he should be ruler, but this is hard for me. No, but he is the ruler, but this is hard for me. And, you know, the whole time, um, you know, he, he thought you know, he, he ah, I can't talk, but like just on this page, he's just, you know, wrestling with the fact that, you know, Gulaman's coming in and changing everything and Calgar is trying not to take it personally. You know, he, he said like, you know, this has what, you know, that it was wishful thinking that everyone had ever always wanted for Gulaman to come back, but, you know, but who did not wish for a savior in times of need? You know, and he said he's forming his own versions of Gulaman's miraculous return, as he sure, as he was sure every Ultramarine's chapter master since the first had also done. He had not conceived of events playing out as they actually had, which I think is actually right there. That one sentence is like perfect description of the entire book, because it it works for Gulaman as well. He could not have predicted he was going to, you know, awake ten thousand years later, and everything would be so drastically different so right. that was probably one of mine and the the other one was uh Gulaman's conversation with his father yes um that was also one of my favorite parts so that that part I think is that part I think is going to be a much bigger thing. So the thing that I always liked about it, my husband and I actually always had this ongoing debate because I actually always thought that the emperor looked at the Primarchs kind of like you look at your dogs. You love your dogs. They're great. And when they love you back, you're like, oh my God, I love you too. But ultimately they're dogs. Like if you had to kill your dog to save your kid, you totally would. So like, Golem, or, um, the Emperor loves mankind and humanity, right? Like, if he had to sacrifice any one of the Primarchs to save all of mankind, like that. He didn't love them like his children. They were really more like dogs. I always, that's kind of how I always read it. And my husband was always like, no, 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 no. It's definitely, these are his kids and blah, 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 blah. Thank you, Guy Haley. Because <laughs> I got to the end of that and I was like, I fucking told you. So, I like to be right sometimes. No, I, not necessarily that, but just that, and it was, this kind of bleeds, well, because I also had another favorite part, but this kind of bleeds into the next question, too, is that he's clearly wrestling with this. Like, that was a shock to him. Oh, yeah. 
And he even mentions, he's like, you know, would my father even be happy with being alive with connected to life like this with obvious Xenos technology? Right. You know, um, <laughs> there's, it's like, I kind of feel bad for everybody. Like, I feel bad for Gulamon. Because I can't imagine waking up 10,000 years from now and not being like, what the fuck, people? <laughs> and I feel sorry for everybody in the present. Because it's almost been like, you know, George Washington suddenly woke up and he was like, what have y'all done to this country? Like, I'm going to come in here and redo everything and be like, oh, he's our hero. And oh, yeah. And, but, oh, but he's always redoing everything. But I don't know if I like his politics now. Like, that's kind of outdated. And that's kind of what has been going on here. So I feel bad for, you know, Marnie's Calgar. I feel bad for um, the other Ultramarines. Um, especially with the primar with the primaris, which we'll I know we'll talk about in, in a minute. And at the same time, uh, you know, there's a whole emperor thing. Like nobody gets to see him, but Sun's home, I'm barging on in, like, oh hey, right. you don't look good. <laughs> well the thing so like the things that I love is when he talks about how the Emperor had lost his subtlety. Right. Like, I loved that, like, yeah. the idea that, and if you think about it, right, I mean... He's kind of a cranky old man. Uh, yeah, he's a little angry. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that I really liked, the passage that I had uh, written down, was that he said that uh, while the Emperor had walked abroad, he had cloaked his manipulations in love. He had let his Primarchs call him father. He had let them call themselves his sons. He rarely spoke those words himself, Gilliman now realized. Right. So, and I loved that. I, I loved, I loved. Right. I really right. liked this idea when he said the emperor did not love his sons. They were things. Like him having to wrestle with this idea and how he hasn't told anyone about this. So like when they're, oh, does the emperor love us? And That, that was happened. heartbreaking. Oh, it was so heartbreaking when this priest, this, uh, for people who haven't read the book but want to hear our thoughts on it, um, this human priest, when he says to him, he's like, oh, tell me, tell me, does the emperor love us? And Gullman says, yes. It's, but I was telling my husband, I was like, it's kind of an Obi-Wan thing, because what he said is true from a certain, certain point, point of view. view. And he even yeah. acknowledges that. Yeah, because, I mean, he again, he loves mankind. Mm -hmm. I mean, not you specifically, but definitely all of people. Um, the other part that I really, before we continue too far down this one. The only other thing I wanted to say is my favorite part's actually the beginning, the first chapter. Um, that is one of the events of the heresy that oft talked about, oft referenced, but never actually seen is the scene in which Fulgrim actually attacks Gulliman. And I, I loved it because he handles it so well. And the thing that I really liked about that scene is that in a lot of these, a lot of the Horus Heresy novels, as they start to get to these confrontations between brother and brother, the facade starts to break down. Like some of them, it's really sad. Like we talk about this all the time, but there's a short story between the lion and Conrad Kurz where the lion is like, what are you doing, dude? I thought we were friends. But I liked when Gulliman's walking through Fulgrim's ship and he's like, Ugh, he always was an arrogant bastard. <laughs> Like, you just feel the disgust on him all around. And uh, just the descriptions of the warp and the description, or, like, how the, the ship is existing between time and space. You see that again when they're on Montrarian's ship. Um, 
it was just it was great and it was everything that i really wanted it to be this huge this you know this clash of titans and although it was also really sad too when he's on the ground and he's like because fulgrim slashes his neck with a poison blade and as he's dying and he's sitting there and it dawns on him that he's dying so well done so that was like a weird thing like oh the first chapter was my favorite um but that to me was like the part of the book that i was like this is phenomenal but so that segues nicely into our next question which was did the author do a good job of humanizing Gulliman? because you have this you have this primark he's basically a demigod he is a demigod yeah he really is he is this superhuman being he's like three people tall right how do you humanize a character like that? And I think as we were saying, they really do with him wrestling with the fact that his dad doesn't, dad didn't necessarily love him. He has some dad issues, I guess now. Um, and then just this distraughtness at what's become of the Imperium. Yeah, uh, but I was gonna say like, uh, I've, I thought the humanizing was really well done in that first chapter. Because you even got to see the humanizing of Fulgrim, even though he's now um, a, a demon prince. Just for the fact he kept taunting him, he's like, but father loved me. He always you know, paid more attention to me. It was never to you. Yep. Which is such a typical thing for, you know, brothers and, Siblings, and, and right? sisters to do. Yes. You know, like, they love me more. And, you know, when Gulamon, he's like, oh my god, he, he's right. But no, I must focus on this, you know. Which is, you know, part of, you know, the, the war uh, effect making self-doubt and and all that, which is part of Fulgrim's play. But then it just, you know, it continues, you know, when he wakes up and he's like, so, so much has changed in 10,000 years. Well, I need to learn about right. it. And the Inquisition's like, oh, no, you don't need to know about this. He's like, the hell I don't. Right. <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> exactly. That's basically, basically what he pulls. And he basically pulls the, I'm sorry, did you miss the memo? <laughs> I'm the Imperial reagent. Regent. Regent. Reagent. <laughs> We're making potions now. Right? <laughs> well, he kind of is a, the Imperial reagent as well. He's causing all kinds of reactions. Oh, God, he is. But, yeah, and I thought I thought that was very interesting. Um, like, well, to, like to, in terms of humanizing him. Because the thing that I really liked about it, and this is probably the most effective thing, is that he's this demigod, and he kind of knows that he is. But then he talks about like dealing with self-doubt and realizing that he let this human side of him get over like with the Fulgrim scene, right? Mm -hmm. like, he absolutely should have withdrawn from that battle. But that very, very human side of him was like, mm -mm, we're, we're chasing this one down. Right. And so throughout the entire book, he really wrestles with that. And that, you know, kind of let it get the better of me. And there are so many times in here where he has to like step back mentally and be like, wait a minute, am I doing am I doing the right thing here or am I letting my personal desires get in the way? So I thought that oddly it's with him wrestling with his existence as a demigod that humanizes him. Right. Cause he's people, they, they're like, well, but you were, you're the son of a God. So therefore he's just like, he's not a God. No, he is a God. No, he said himself. He, he was not a God. I was with him. They're like, okay, we're just going to ignore this heresy that you're saying right now. <laughs> but, you know, right. how, how are they going to bring in a Primark for heresy? Although, I guess they could. I mean, Horace, hello. Um, I don't know if the Ultramarines could bring him in. <laughs> you're like, this is, we're so torn here. <laughs> right. 
but you know and he even talks about how that he believes that the reason why the 500 worlds of ultramar broke up was because of his mistakes in the past that he didn't lay down the correct foundation and was taking it all on himself and then in a way kind of blaming Calgar at the same time whether he intended I don't think he intended to but that's definitely how it came off like the whole time Calgar's like I'm being punished like I don't even know he's like I've never failed at anything and I'm being punished for I don't know what right well it's you know actually I think you had the best example of this because it, it's his dad right mm. it, the idea of like your parent asking you to go do something and then sending you back inside so they can just do it themselves because they'll do oh, it the right way. Well, that was my whole life. My, I mean, I had yeah. that with my parents too, right? Yeah, like my mom would send us out to go wash our cars. We start washing our cars. My dad's like, you're doing it all wrong. He'd take it over and send us back in. We're like, okay. I'm really bad about it with like the dishes. Like I'll tell my daughter or my husband, like tell my daughter, like do the dishes. And then I'll just be like, oh my God, you're doing them wrong. I'll do it right. So I jump in, right? And I kind of felt like that was a really good analogy for this because it does kind of feel like that's maybe unintentionally. Right. But kind of, and I don't know if it's necessarily him saying you're doing a bad job, but it is, it's kind of inadvertently. Like, yeah, I don't, clearly. I mean, he even talks about how much he respects Calgar. So I don't think it's, I don't, I think it is um, entirely inadvertent. Um, but maybe not, because he kind of, like, you know, he always wanted to meet my hero, uh, Uriel Ventress. And actually, that was probably one of my favorite scenes, now that I think about it. Oh, my gosh, that was such a great scene. How, how, how did we not talk about I don't know, that but scene? Uriel just uh, fangirling all over himself <laughs> upon seeing the Primarch. Well, I love when he kneels. Yes. And is like, no, arise, Captain Ventress. And I can't. <laughs> It's like, look up at me. No. <laughs> just... well, and then I liked that when he did, he was like, oh, man, they told me this was going to happen. And I said that it wasn't going to. Like, he just, oh, my gosh, I loved it. Because Ventress himself, I mean, it, what's cool is that if you remember from that first trilogy, there is the scene before they get sent off to deal with the Iron Warriors. There's that scene where he actually goes to the chapel to, like, you know, basically pray in front of Gilliman. And as he's doing it, you know, he's, oh my gosh, you know, my, our Primarch and blah, blah, blah. So we, we already knew that he held such reverence for this person and meeting your heroes. Well, that's the other thing about this book we were talking about, you know, meeting your heroes, because it's one of the uh, early chapters with Gulaman, and he's talking about how he stopped correcting people with what they claimed he said. So he's yeah. like, I, I never said that. Like, oh, yes, you did. And so he's like, all right, fine. You know, I, I said it. I think it said it took yeah. him like a hundred years before he was like, all right, I'm just not going to correct people anymore. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, like, like we're saying, like with our history, like, mm -hmm. did they really say such things? That's, I actually underlined the line because I loved it. It said, he simply, uh, he was simply not believed by most for whom the Primarch remained an ideal. They valued their preconceptions over, of him over the living evidence. Mm-hmm. Ouch. That would be so hard. Can you even imagine? They've put him up on a pedestal even higher than he already was. Like, back when yes. he walked the earth with everybody else. Like, he was already up there, but it was, like, a mutual understanding. And now he's up even higher, and he's like, I'm too high. Like, this is... I don't want to be up here. Because now, now that he's up there, he can't be real. Right. Or he feels like he can't be real. 
Right. He feels like he can't. And again, more importantly, I mean, again, he's just in this, and this kind of segs into our next uh, point too, that the world's changed, right? Since he was last in it and he's not adapting very well to it. I would argue. No, he's, he's, he's not, uh, like he's upset that they're still like, I guess he thought that after they cleared out, you know, the horse heresy and that was all done, that everyone was just going to pick up and go right back to the great crusade again, right where they left off. Mm-hmm. And none of that's happened. Uh, they, um, they're mainly because, you know, you talk about government that's been fractured. It's kind of hard to suddenly oh. pick up the great crusade when the emperor who was moving this forward is now like basically tied to a throne and is like mm-hmm. half skeleton and doesn't talk to anybody really. Like the only time he spoke was when Gulaman showed up and, uh, so who's directing? Well, then you have the Inquisition kind of coming in and in their own way directing. And then you're making uh, the Space Marines be rulers. And I don't think they were ever supposed to be rulers. Although he's, although he's making it, maybe they were. In his mind, they were. So like in the Horus Heresy books, they talk a lot about how he envisioned that after after the Great Crusade was done, that the Ultramarines would basically become statesmen and become like these powerful leader figures who could then help regular humans, help them get their world in shape and help keep order and all of that, kind of a peacekeeping force, but also being like these people of wisdom and stuff. So the Ultramarines- So Jedi. Yeah, actually, actually, yeah, kind of. They were very much into politics and history and all of this kind of stuff. It was very important for him to have that. And in some of the Horus Heresy books, they actually call out that that made his legion very unique. Obviously, the Space Wolves weren't really going to be so down with being space, uh, statesmen. <laughs> Run for president. Vote for Bjorn. Um, so, I mean, it, it, what? That was, it was always kind of this thing where people were like, oh... And Gulliman always had this... Well, Horus actually kind of had the same thing, too. This idea that, okay, eventually the war is going to be done, and a lot of the other Primarchs would be like, is it, though? So that kind of... Again, that also added to the sadness of this, when he's like, wait a minute, we're still fighting? Yeah, we're still fighting the Xenos. We still have this problem. We still haven't unified everybody. Wait, we're giving these planets independence? I don't think so. Like, they all need to be part of this so so that we, we can rule them. And, you know, something that you told me this week, something I didn't realize, because I, like, as it says below, like, I am the, the rookie here in a lot of this. Like, I don't, there's so many sub-chapters, you, oh, know, yeah. you know, post-foundings, and it, I'm happy, I'm, like, glad if I, you know, know the originals, the original, like, I, I get that, um, but you start talking about, you know, the Black Templars and the Nova Marines and all this. I'm like, all right, where do these people all come from? Like, I'm so confused. And it's just the various foundings. And the think the first time I was introduced to a different uh, subchapter was in, um, gosh, it was, must have been the third Ultramarines book. Because they had to... In the second Ultramarine book, they actually deal with the Mortifactors, who show that... up in this book, too. Okay, that's who I was talking about, was the, was the Mortifactors. It was the second book. I couldn't remember the second mm-hmm. or third. Um, 
you know, and they were, they were like so excited because they were a subchapter with somebody else who also was made from Gulian's, uh, Gulliman's uh, gene seed and they're nothing like the ultramarines. So I was like, well, what is this all about? And so when I see, and then all these lists and then, you know, my eyes just kind of swirled around and just, you know, backed out of it. And Jen was the one who was telling me that actually it's the ultramarines where most of those subchapters came from. So it was almost like Gulliman constantly tinkering <laughs> well so in the wake of the heresy so one of the reasons that the heresy was so bad is that you had these legions of 10,000 soldiers so they could be everywhere i mean it's one of the reasons that the black legion continues to be such a problem is that there's so many of them so that was one of the reasons that was one of the first things for the codex Astartes that he was like 1,000 warriors that's it so when he wanted to cut down to a thousand he had 9,000 other people Right, so then you get all these subchapters, and then once those guys started to get too big, you get subchapters from them. By the way, that was one of my fangirl moments early on in the book. In the first chapter, they mentioned the Iron Snakes, who were like one of my favorite other favorite chapters. So I was just like very, very excited about that. My husband and I both were like, "That book's amazing." But so that was really cool about that. But yeah, I mean, he talks about that in here too, and that. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, a bit later, but just the number of subchapters that get thrown around in here, it is it is a little daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, as someone who's still just, you know, trying to, like, learn everything, it's, it's, it's too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, which, I guess I want to go on ahead and then jump into the next one about the Primaris Marines. Yes. So... I do have a question about them because it was something I, I noticed, just something that Captain Felix said, which I have to admit, like I kind of like Captain Felix I love a lot, Felix. Um, especially, gosh, page 307, where he's wondering how Calgar feels about the Primaris Marines. Like he's actually the one considering other feelings where Gulaman is, is not because he's like, you know, he's constantly coming to us. He's not coming to his, you know, primary gene seed and he keeps asking us to do things and and not them and he keeps shunting Calgar aside and you know and then later you know Felix becomes a tetrarch but not Calgar right well yeah that was the line actually underlined that um Gilliman had been careless with the feelings of his existing sons. Increasingly, Gilliman looked to his primary space marines as his first solution. He mm-hmm. made no attempt to hide the fact that the days the older space marines were numbered. So, I actually, that, that's a really good point, because I had that reaction when Games Workshop first announced the Primaris marines and kind of gave the history of them. I was like, holy shit, like how terrible must that feel for the regular old, the regular space marines that we have now, the old space marines I guess that Gulliman shows back up out of stasis and is like you guys aren't going to cut it and goes and gets better models which apparently had always been around but we just never talked about them. right so that's what I was about to bring up so it was on page three, 394 and it's where Felix had still not accepted the way the emperor was worshipped in this era I'm like yeah. in this era you haven't accepted in this era how long have you been around? Have you just been in stasis? In and out? Um, so, okay, so this was something that uh, Gulaman's been working with Call this whole time. 
you know, when he got out, he was like, okay, um, I, I want my Primaris back. Like, <laughs> you activate them, please. Right. It's all well, so weird. It is a little weird that this was, like, literally never mentioned. Now, asterisk, again, I haven't read all of the books, so maybe this was, like, casually mentioned in a book. And But I would ask when that book was published, whether or not it was before or after the Primaris Marines were announced. Um, they were never mentioned, but then he talks about how, like, how the Emperor basically told Call go do the thing, and then Call was kind of left to do it himself. I don't know. Sounds like Call took a bunch of liberties. Actually, so the one thing I have to mention in here really quickly is that, um, when he's talking with Call, which we're going to talk a lot about that chapter later, but when he's talking with Call... The call talks about how he's ironed out. So with the Primaris Marines, he's ironed out a lot of the mutations and a lot of the problems. Because a lot of the chapters have issues with it. Like, uh, there is, a, I think there's a short story that we, I can't remember the name of it right now, that deals with when the Primaris Blood Angels meet the OG Blood Angels. So the Blood Angels, when Horus kills Sanguinus, the pain and the shock is like just so, the psychic trauma is so bad, it echoes down through his gene seat. And so... The OG Dark Angel or Blood Angels will occasionally go into this blood rage haze. It's almost it's almost like a corn berserker rage, except it's for the Imperium, so it's okay. And uh, yeah, I know. Anyways, so <laughs> the Primaris Space Marines they show up, and the regular Blood Angels are like, "Oh yeah, so you know, do you guys have this problem?" And they're like, "What? What are you talking about? We don't have this problem." But he asks about the Blood Angels, and he asks about the Space Wolves. The space wolves have always had the wolf mutation in them ever since the beginning. And Call even says, he's like, oh yeah, you know, that was your dad's plan. He doesn't ask about the Raven Guard, which I was like, did you, are, are you not caught up about the Raven Now maybe because I am, as it says below, Raven Guard fangirl. After the heresy, after like the entirety of the Raven Guard gets wiped out on Istvan, Korax tries to like do his own cloning and stuff and basically borks the gene seed. So most of the most of the Raven Guard don't even have like all of the special genes and organs and stuff that the regular Space Marines have. So I was really upset when he didn't specifically ask about them. I was like, do, do you just not care, or are you not caught up? Well, maybe like, being sneaky is not the Ultramarines' way. They just like to tank through things. <laughs> so he's like, I don't give, I don't care about the Raven Guard. They can go do whatever they want. Angry Birds. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they um after reading shrike he might approve of that <laughs> right exactly so but i just thought that was kind of funny was like oh you didn't ask about that it's kind of a slight aside there but the idea that now you have these like perfect space marines but they are very different and in a lot of the stories now they're starting to show that you have all these primary space marines but their captain is an og space marine because they don't have the experience yet They've been around since the pre-heresy, but they have no experience because apparently they've been in stasis. I don't know. The whole thing, I still, I don't think I'm on board. I loved the characters. I loved them dealing with one another. I thought that was all really great, but I don't think I'm on board with them as a concept yet. I kind of, I kind of agreed with Felix in that he wanted to remain as one of the unnumbered sons. Yes. And just the Primaris just kind of be their own thing. Yes, they have gene seed from different Primarchs, you know, but they would all work together and I kind of like that and I like the dynamic that they all had and you know they were kind of like a family right and he got to go in and it's like sorry um 
Gulaman says they had to break up the family. That was that was a sad. Yeah, I, that was a very sad chapter. Um, the whole thing about it, because I did like it, and I liked that you could just from them talking, you could tell. I mean, their names kind of helped too, but just from them talking, you were like, oh, <laughs> like uh, I think it was. Oh, I can't remember his name. It was, it was the guy who started with a K. But <laughs> when he's like. The way that he was talking, I was like, oh, hmm, clearly you're a dark angel. <laughs> well, because they, even if he ironed out, like, all of the, even if he ironed out all the mutations and all those problems, they still have a lot of their father's traits. Mm-hmm. So, I thought that was kind of fun. And the space wolf was just great. Yarny, he was great. Oh, God. Yeah. Needed more of him. Thank you. He was so much fun. But not just him. Him versus the ultramarines, right? Like, seeing that contrast between them. It was great. I could have used, like, two more chapters of that. Dad, no, we just got, like, a few pages, and uh, mm-hmm. we're breaking up the family, and oh, you guys don't really like where you're about to be assigned, and I'm sorry. Blame Gulaman. <laughs> blame, yeah. blame the Primarch Reborn here. It's not my fault. Dad said so. Yeah, who's, but I did. Who's come in and gone up to this perfectly set table and just yanked out the tablecloth. <laughs> well, I I did like that he's like, I wanted to be the one to deliver the news. Right. Because it's his family. Mm-hmm. His brothers. And they actually, and I thought that that was interesting because, again, they have shared experiences. And they haven't really touched on how the regular Ultramarine, or the regular Space Marines are dealing with this, mm-hmm. but... I don't know, like, Marnius Calgar is already kind of, like, they, there was a line, it was a throwaway line, but they talk about, like, um, they had formed a new chapter or a new division or something like that, and they were like, oh, Marnius Calgar doesn't even know this has happened yet. That's probably not going to go over well. But the one thing that I really wanted to mention about this that I found interesting, and I have to find which page it's on flipping through my margins here, looking for my note. So if you recall, the thing that they were saying that made them, the Primaris Marines so good was that all mutation is gone, super resistant to chaos. Not once, but twice, Felix gets affected by chaos and has to be kind of ripped back from the brink. Oh, yeah. So, clearly, maybe not totally ironed out just throwing that out there so i don't know if that's and we'll talk about that again in a bit but i don't know if that's like major foreshadowing for future problems i mean i guess if they really wanted to keep them you know untouched by chaos they would have gotten some of uh the gray knights (laughs) gene seed right exactly that's a thought yeah so I thought that was that was a little interesting. I did, I did like when they're fighting the um, I liked when they were fighting the Death Guard, and I think it's Felix, uh, one of the Death Guard guys, is like, "Oh, come on, little warrior! I've been fighting for ten thousand years." Like when he's taunting him, mm-hmm. I think he calls him little warrior like twice. So I was like, adorable. <laughs> Oh, you. Oh, you. <laughs> even though the Primaris is supposed to be even bigger oh, yeah. in the original, it's like, what is this? Bigger is better? <laughs> well, size does matter. We try to make everybody Texas? 
I was gonna say here. Well, actually, I think like that's probably that's probably the Death Guard. Cause remember they talk about just how huge they all are because they're so they're bloated though. It's it's nasty. But limble, nimble on their feet, limber oh. flesh, nimble on their feet. Apparently, I bet they squish when they move. Oh, can you imagine? Smell. Yeah, they. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not sure. So to that point too, like, how is chaos going to react to this? Apparently, since they can corrupt them, I don't know. And again, more on that in a bit here. But I. The, so that kind of segues us over to Nurgle's of all the chaos factions. So most of the books that I have read, it's Corn, Zinch. I've seen a couple with Slanesh. Usually it's characters, like minor characters who worship Slanesh. Um, or a lot of it's Chaos Undivided. This was one of like a handful, I think this is like the third or fourth, maybe second or third book actually, that I've read that really focused on Nurgle. Uh, whenever you read uh, Grey Knight, Sons of Titan, that mm-hmm. also focuses on Nurgle. Oh, sweet. Cool. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, how, it's a very different feel and a different flavor than the rest of Chaos. Oh, did you have to say flavor? Sorry. God. Well, mm. so there were sections. So actually one of my favorite chapters was, my favorite chapters was the Kugarth's Calvacade. When they describe the Nurgle ship's landing, I could like smell it as I was reading it. Especially, so this is the funny thing I was telling Carrie that I can actually, I don't get grossed out very easily. So like they're describing their intestines hanging out and I'm like, okay. I get grossed out very easily. Most of those chapters was like, like dry heaving (laughs) while while reading it, which I have to say, it's a tribute to Guy Haley right there, because it's supposed to be disgusting. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, but yeah, like you know, like they're talking about all the parasites, and I'm like, all right. And they're talking about like their eyes being caked closed. Okay. And I'm like, you do you, boo. <laughs> you do <laughs> you. <laughs> when they started talking about feces, I was like, nope, I'm done, done, done. That was the part that I was like, oh god, I can smell it. <laughs> I, I do not handle excrement at all. So that was just, the baby phase is very hard for me. But when they were talking about like some guy, there was one of the guys coming out that was like, he had to drag himself on his knuckles and like how he had like a trail. Yes. Of, uh, uh, so yes. Good job, Guy Haley. Good job. I was thoroughly disgusted. And yeah, I felt like I could smell it. Blah. The whole time I'm reading it going, why would anyone worship Nurgle? <laughs> like, oh, well, so that's the thing that I loved about the Nurgle guys is that they've always, like, I've always read in uh, the lore and stuff that Papa Nurgle, unlike, unlike other chaos factions. So whenever you see um, Slanesh, they always describe them like heroin addicts. <clears throat> they're just constantly, tri- well, they're just constantly chasing that next high. Mm-hmm. Very bored. Nothing really entertains them because they've done everything. Because right? it's a, it's a. Con- a uh, pleasure thing, right? Because that's what uh, yes. Fulgrim always talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, he's the god of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They're all trying to get that next like mm-hmm. thrill. So, and when they talk about his demons, it's the same way. They're just there to like kind of torture. They're not eh. the Cornites. They're kind of happy when they're raging, but they're still raging. The Zinch, Zinch is so 
conniving that his minions are always described as like looking for conspiracies and secrets and there doesn't seem to be a lot of joy there the Nurgle guys are so happy (laughs) they're just so happy when they're like cavorting out playing music and they talk about them like chortling and giggling and yeah and they're all just trying to get Papa Nurgle's love that it made it so different because on one hand they're so disgusting but on the other hand I was like well they're so cheerful (laughs) you know I guess when you're that gross what else you got right well the interesting thing that I had never thought about they talk a lot about how it's a type of immortality because it's life from death so I guess it doesn't matter if you're disgusting because you're immortal I, no. Yeah, no. Like, oh, some of the descriptions. I was like, why would you want that? That's not the type of immortality. I guess I, I think I discovered something about myself reading this book, and it was that I am like I would never consider myself to be a vain person. I'm too vain to worship Nurgle. Oh, I totally am. <laughs> but uh, I thought that way reading uh, Sons of Titan, because when they inadvertently uh, summon Kugoth. Who was, right. who was in this as well. It's like, when I first read it, I was like, well, hold on a minute. When I pulled out that book, yep, it's the same same demon. Um, when he takes over the ship that they're on and they describe like how it becomes organic and the sounds that it makes and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm going to hurl in this book. I'm and just splorching. Yeah, so <laughs> that's all I imagined was <laughs> splorching. Have you, ever, have you ever had a walk through like deep mud? No, I have not personally, but uh, but I can imagine the the sounds and yeah, or like going through a marsh, right? Imagine just like that's a and you must be able to smell it from like a mile away, maybe two. Um, like we just drove uh, through Nebraska and it had been raining and like flooding and there's a lot of cow pastures in Nebraska, so you could smell it for miles. That is what this, like, it conjured memories of that. I was just like, oh, God, so bad. <laughs> but so here's an interesting thing that I found interesting. So, so one of the things that I've always wrestled with, with Nurgle, is that in the Horus Heresy books, Mortarian was very, very anti-Warcraft, anti-Psyker, anti-everything. Like, he was one of the drivers behind the Council of Nikea. Nikea? Nikea. Whatever. Uh, one of the drivers behind that. And Goleman even mentions that in here. He's mm-hmm. just like, you know, Mortarian was never down with this stuff. The scene with Mortarian when he's talking with Kudoth and Ty- Typhus. I didn't... He's a demon prince of Nurgle. But I didn't really get the impression that he was like, hell yeah, Nurgle! Like, because even there's a scene where he goes to communicate in, like, this fungus, which also... That's another thing. I don't... Mm. Mushrooms and fungus. I just mold. So he talks about it, like, coming out and coming up over him. Right. And he says how much he still despises Warcraft. So there's an interesting... There's an interesting hypocrisy there. But he also doesn't... I'm, I'm interested to just see what you what your opinion was on that, because I didn't... I didn't feel like he was fully Team Nurgle. Well, this is my first time 
uh, dealing with Mortarian. And I mm. didn't know until you had told me that, you know, he was against Warpcraft. So it's really funny because when you told me that, then like that night when I was reading the book, I got to that passage where Gulliman's like, why is he even doing this? Like he's been always against this. I don't think I fully understand Mortarian's um, ambition or convictions or motivation for, for any of this other than, oh, I heard that Gulliman is back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and fuck with Ultramar. That sounds like fun. Yeah. And he does have that passage because, and this was interesting too. My husband and I had a big conversation about this was that when he's talking with Typhus, he's like, all right, we're going to go to this one place. And Typhus is like, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. That doesn't, that doesn't help Nurgle. This is all you. I can't think really like a little bit with a uh, slanish because Fabius Bile, <laughs> he is not on the same page as Fulgrim at all. And in one of the Fabius Bile books, he pretty much tells Fulgrim to go pound salt. And Fulgrim's kind of like, I got other things to do. Um, it's one of those, you're fired. No, I'm not. I quit. <laughs> so it's that he a little bit, but like, I can't imagine Karn seeing Angron and being like, I do whatever the hell I want. I'm the chosen one of Angron, not, or of Corn, uh, not you. I can't really imagine that fight between those people, whereas Mortarion's just like, jerk. Like, I don't know, it, that was another weird part to me. Yeah. And the way that they handled that. I also question, because, you know, Kugoth that whole time was just, you know, I am unworthy, I shouldn't be here. And I'm wondering if that has anything to do with his defeat from the Grey Knights. Well, if you remember, he actually explains it. So Papa Nurgle has, you ever see pictures of Nurgle, he has that giant pot. And you remember they said they had his giant pot? Mm -hmm. In which he cooks all of his diseases and stuff. Kugoth drank that and that created him. And so now he's just eternally trying to replace it. So it could be part of that too, yeah. that failure that he had there. But like, because just... I say that because in Sons of Titan, he is not like that at all. Really? Oh no, he is very much like when they accidentally summon him, and he realizes that Grey Knights are on the ship. He starts yelling for, I, I guess, their chapter master or their primarch from thousands of years ago, and they're like, "That guy is not even alive anymore." And he's like, "I want my revenge." And I mean, and he is ready just to take over the entire ship. But almost, it almost does if it was not for um, basically we had two inquisitors, uh, Xenos and Malleus, and they didn't get along, and they were kind of they had a fight to the death, and Xenos lost, <laughs> which is then how Kugoth Xenos lost against Ma anyways, <laughs> which is actually okay. in a roundabout way how. Um, Kugoth got summoned, and he starts screaming for, for the Grey Knights. Yeah, I feel like I'm spoiling that book too much for you, but um, there's so much behind it, though, that I'm not spoiling. Um, I mean, and he's out for a vengeance. Like, he's out to go kill every single Grey Knight on the ship, and then embrace everybody else, and infect them with bone rack, which, when they describe this disease, is, like, the most one of the most awful things I think I've ever heard of someone dies of it there and this the description of that was although guy Haley topped it 
with, with the intestines and pus and stuff. Yeah, so just to give you an idea like how much of a wuss I am, um, if anyone's played Diablo 3, you know, early on you have to fight those, like, those undead disease things. Stitches. Right, and you get to the, um, what are they, the, the Wraith Mothers? The, I don't remember what they're called, but they're oh, vomiting the, everywhere. Oh, so yeah, the Plague Mothers. Plague Mothers, they're vomiting everywhere and things come up. And then you got those huge bloated guys that when they explode and this, and there's always this squelch when you're fighting these diseased ones. And it always made me go, oh, every single time. There was, uh, there was a raid in OG, like vanilla, early, early uh, World of Warcraft called Sholomance. And there was one in there. And I was like, oh, God, this is so disgusting. And then they built Naxxramas, which was even bigger, and had, like, several of them, more of them in there. And there was one boss, and it just, he looked exactly like how they described this, with, like, the intestines hanging out and all of that, and just the noises. Yeah. And the things that came off of them. Right. I was always, I always, I always felt like the stereotypical girl, because I was like, uh, uh, I don't want to be in this room. <laughs> Because I was also the one who got severely nauseated watching a uh, E3 trailer of uh, Dead Space, so like I, I love Dead Space. I know you do. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I just I developed a weak weak stomach. The older I've I've gotten, and now I just can't handle some of that stuff. And seriously, like, was talking to our, our friend Drew, who's actually listening to this on Audible, and he was just like, "Oh God," <laughs> he's texting me going. That's just awful. Of course, like, he's actually hearing it, and the guy might be actually making some noises yeah. to go along with it. But, yeah. So, yes, props to you, Guy Haley. Oh, yeah, it was effective. But it was... But, I mean, oh. they're evil, obviously, because they're chaos. But, I guess, but they're happy about it. Yeah, that, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And it made them kind of... It makes them a fun chaos faction. And Sure. <laughs> Okay, I'm into weird stuff. Um, I kind of understand the Iron Warriors a little more, even though they're pretty darn disgusting as well. Like, I will say, when uh, Ventress was in the Eye of Terror and they were dealing with Hanso and that, my stomach turned a lot of just his mutations that he was making. But at least Hanso, he was just like, we're just doing this for funsies. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just take yeah. this apart and see what it does. Actually... That book still remains, I think, one of the worst descriptions I've ever read. Because if you remember, they go through um, they go through that area where they're harvesting flesh, mm -hmm. and so they have the people who are like super bloated, and they're just peeling skin off of them and letting it heal, and then peeling yep. more off of it. And that, and they talk about like how people like they talk about how some of the victims were looking at the Space Marines, and they clearly still had like some sanity and recognition in their eyes. It was almost kind of like reading, uh, you know, the many levels of hell <laughs> right? in, in, in many ways. Because I remember when I got to that chapter, I was texting you and going, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up reading this because this is so nasty. And she just wrote back because she's caring. Chaos is bad, yo. <laughs> like, All right. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I'm a caring friend. Um, yeah. No, that scene, I think that remains probably the one scene from all of the books that I'm like, Ugh. That one, like this stuff, again, while I was reading it, but I don't think it's going to, 
don't think it's going to stick with me afterwards. No, I don't think so either. But, you know, one thing that has stuck with me from the Ventra stuff was um, not that, but it was when they were shoving him into the, I don't know what they call it, the brood mother, whatever that thing was. And he was fighting against it when he, you know, that clone was ended up being made of him, the newborn. Just that whole thing, because, again, very good descriptions of being engulfed in this, like, gelatinous fluid, and he feels it absorbing him, and he's trying to fight against it, and it's like, oh, God, that's, like, my worst nightmare. So, in this book, they brought up one of my worst nightmares, which was, at the very end, when they talk about marching across that river, and it's all just mud and and decomposing dead bodies, and he talks about how it's at his knees. And, and it's, it's going raised, up. Mm-hmm. And then it's here. And then it's over his head. And I just. And he slips. And almost drowns in it. And he talks about like when he goes to take a step. And there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So he falls all the way into right, it. Right, right. No. Hard pass. Hard pass. I. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, quicksand was always like. I was always deathly afraid of quicksand as a child. <laughs> Scooby-Doo taught us it was going to be a much bigger problem in life than it was. Uh, yeah, that scene. That, that Okay, I take that back. That's probably the one scene from this book that's going to stick with me for a while. But, I mean, overall, I always like when the Chaos Marines show up in general, only because it's interesting to see, like, these, you know, like, you have Ventress, for a good example, who's, like, 500 years old, probably, but he's fighting against somebody who's like 10,000 years old and may have been like four or 500 years old at the start of the heresy. So much older even. Mm -hmm. And so I always find that kind of fun, at least to me, but here comes the meat of our discussion. (sighs) Well, so some of the stuff that happens in this book, a lot of the books I was, we were talking right before the podcast and I was saying that a lot of the things that happen in the books, they happen within the confines of that book. And they don't, sometimes they might get mentioned, like Uriel Venture shows up in this, right? But I wouldn't say that any of the events from the those books are ever really referenced anywhere else, right? Um, this book had so very, very, very many things that you know were gonna come back or going to be major issues. In fact, it actually, this book kind of reminded me of the first Horus Heresy book, Horus Rising. I won't spoil it because I know you still need to read it, but Dan Amnett plants so many seeds. Mm-hmm. And he basically just like grabbed some and just like threw stuff up in the air and there's like so many different plot threads. I feel like this book was the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's like I said, like there's this perfectly set table and Gulamans has come in and he's just yanked out the tablecloth, but he wasn't doing a magic trick. He was yanking it and everything was, you know, coming with it. Uh, exactly. And now we're going to have to see. So let's start with the biggest thing, which is Belisarius call. So the first thing. Yeah, he's going to die. If they can find him, where is he? Uh, you want to talk about Xenos? Um, so first up, wh- here's my bet. My bet is that he's with the Necrons. He, the, the thing that he uses to talk to Gilliman, I know that it protests it's not an AI, but it still seems to be fueled by that, say, that similar Necronic 
magic or energy that they have. Mm-hmm. They talk about him working with the Necrons to build those pylons, of which of which they must build additional ones. Sorry, mm-hmm. I apologize. Um, the um, I have a strong feeling he's with them. At least right now, because uh, what was it? Gudemon said that they hadn't met in like twelve years. So, like in person, not just talking to uh, Call Inferior on, on the ship. Which actually, that might haunt me for a while, just because I could almost feel like I could hear, I could hear it, because the you know the poor uh, librarian was having to to deal with you know the pressure of the psychic pressure and and I, I almost felt like I could hear those the babies doing the warp screams. Uh, so again, like very, very, very well written. Um, but, you know, I didn't know much about the tech Marines and the Adeptus Mechanicus either, other than they, you know, praise the Omnissiah and they become less and less human as they get older and probably become like a robot with a human brain. Um, so, I mean, Carl sounds like he's been a lot, he's 10,000 plus years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of sounds like he's really up to no good. It, it was very interesting. So when he was asking Gulaman, you need to make me the ruler of Mars, Gulaman said, I can't. And I was like, well, I don't understand that. And then you said, but he has no jurisdiction over Mars. I'm like, well, then why would he ask him to make him ruler over Mars? I mean, he technically, it's kind of like us in Puerto Rico. Like, we okay. show up to Puerto Rico and be like, this person's in charge now because we said so. But we kind of allow them their autonomy. Right. Um, I mean, you know what I mean? Like we couldn't go there and just like start telling them what their government is. Or like, actually, I guess it's really like all the states, right? The federal government's not going to show up in Texas and be like, this is your mayor now. Thank you. Have a nice day. Right. Right. Um, okay. So it's kind of like that. And it's a gentleman's agreement, if you will. Um, but not only that, I mean, he knows and he actually, I thought that was interesting when Gulliman's like, oh, well, you know, the, the Mars priests, they'd be so angry if I told them what to do. And then when he presses him, he's like, look, you're her, you're like crazy heresy to them. <laughs> right. The whole thing. And when they start having the conversation about, are you an AI? Mm-hmm. Well, there's that. And, you know, Gulliman, he was after that conversation, you know, he was remembering that when he went and visited Mars and he was dealing with the tech Marines trying to disassemble all of this, all of these ships that were actually yes. affected by heresy or were alien, and they were trying to um, take them apart and study them. And he's like, "What are you doing? No, you're supposed to destroy this." And they were fighting with him on it, and they were not happy. And Call was not happy about it. It's like you guys are really deviated from this. And it's like you said mm-hmm. that. You, I mean, I don't know much about the Necrons, but if you believe that. Uh, call inferior is Necron technology. Then, okay, I you know, like I said, I don't don't, don't know it, very many things about them. It would make sense, uh, especially with how long Call has been around. Because even Gulamon mentions how that is odd for yes. for a tech marine to or anybody besides the Emperor well, to be around that long. So one of the things they kind of talk about, actually, in the Night Lords books, and they, they talk about this in the Iron State. They talk about it in a lot of books. Time moves different in the warp. So, like, for the Night Lords, they've been spending most of their time in the warp. It's only been, like, a thousand years since the heresy. 
Right, but technically, though, the tech marines shouldn't be. Right, but Call was definitely on his own plan. And just they talk, given how much he's been working with the Eldar and with the the Necrons, and God knows what other Xenos races, I... I wonder if he's been spending like a lot of time traveling. So time, or again, is he, there's a big question. question. Yes. Call. What is he? Where is he? Why is he? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, I mean, there's just so many questions about him. Um, all of which I have, a, are going to have very far reaching implications. Oh, I'm actually convinced that not maybe not next book because we still got Mortarian and you know the <laughs> the nerglings to deal with and um, but I think sometime soon we are going to have this overthrowing of Mars. I thought the same thing. Because yeah, I mean, because Gulaman even says after his conversation with Call, he's like. It's most likely becoming too dangerous for him to stay alive. Yes. Well, he talks about it, he's like, he's going to be a problem. Right. Soon. And, yes. So that was an interesting thing. And then, there's a lot about that that would be very concerning. Because he clearly wants control of Mars. I don't think he's going to care how he gets control of it. Mm-hmm. So, you have that. A little concerning, and that's what we do not need is another Martian war. Because during the Horus Heresy, some of the the argument came down to we worship the Omnissiah. The loyalist factions feel that the God Emperor is basically like a face of the Omnissiah, that he works through the Omnissiah. So they stayed that loyal, and the um, the traitor the traitor ones were either straight up corrupted, corrupted by chaos, or were like that's not the Omnissiah. We're out. So, you've already had a splintering. They fact, they fl- they uh, splintered just like the Imperials did. Mm-hmm. That would be so bad if we had, like, another of Belisarius Call, who's basically a heretic at this point. Well, I mean, not you know what I mean. They view him as being somewhat heretical. Just taking over Mars. Well, I mean, according uh, to, to Gulamon, like, they're all being heretical. That's true, too. I mean, and that was, it was funny to me, because he describes them like, oh, there's Xenos tech, or, uh, chaos tech, let's pull it apart. And he's like, no, 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 no. You destroy it. But these pylons that the Necrons told us about, those are pretty cool. So there's this interesting, it was this interesting uh, contradiction with him. I don't want to necessarily call it hypocrisy. Well, I mean, wasn't the Necron pylons is what kept Cadia? around <laughs> yeah and i mean they almost closed the eye of terror mm-hmm. so that so that's one portion but let's talk about what belisarius paul has been doing so he makes all these space marines for the nine loyalist legions and they're really awesome and they're really cool and then he throws out and this is this is probably in my other favorite scene in this book, and I thought it was done so well, is when he's like, oh, by the way, I actually have the rest. I have the other, uh, what is that, 11 mm-hmm. people. So 
That is not only the nine traitor legions, it's also the two erased legions. Like, I have them, and they're all good, and they're, you know, free from corruption, and blah, 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 blah. And Gelliman, of course, is like, no. And I did like that Belisarius call is like, but your father intended for you to all work together. That's how the only way that this works. And when Gilliman says no again, Call basically says, oh, I'm going through a tunnel. You're breaking up. Right. <laughs> Can't hear you. <laughs> like, got you. Like, <laughs> bad connection. <laughs> Can you imagine the heads with their slack jaws being like, oh, I hear you. <laughs> That was like that was a pretty that was really good but kind of description. How do you know this is heresy? Dead heads are talking to you. Uh, yeah, but with an AI. All right, but wouldn't that be like all the servitors as well? I don't know why those aren't heresy. <laughs> Just burn them alive, please. They're so, so bad. So I don't I, th- I don't know if it was this book or the last book that I read was. I'm sorry if I'm sorry I'm being I'm so dumb. That they talked about how they made them. I think it was the last book I read. Uh, It's a a really nice, charming process. uh, Calgar Siege, I think. It might have been this book where he said, you know, they're either going to do this and... Oh, no, it was this book. Because it was when Calgar was um, uh, putting down that rebellion. And he was like, you know, test, test all those, make, you know... Make sure that they're clean, and but the main protesters, uh, scrape them out. They're going to be servitors. And I was like, "Wait, what? That's that's oh, oh! I got the, I just thought there was some mechanical thing that the tech marines made. Like I'm just kind of horrified now. It's, yeah. Well, it, I mean, look, only in death does duty end, and then you can keep serving in some cases. But you're not alive. Your service to the emperor is never done. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of true. They will continue to find ways to use you. It's like how we use every part of the pig in America, you know, food. Just got to use all the parts. No, it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. There's a book. Oh, what book is it? Shoot, I can't think of what book it is. It's a mechanicus like centric book, and there's not a bunch of those. But it's one of them where they described it, too. And I was like, that's unpleasant. <laughs> it's so hard. There's there's a meme of, if you remember from uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War, when they first, when they arrive at um, Wakanda, and uh, I think it's War Machine goes to bow. The king is like, we don't do that here. But somebody's like, we there learn about Warhammer 40K, and they ask who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. We don't do that here. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's Can levels. It's a various levels. It's levels of gray, really. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's not entirely true. Cause chaos. I think we can all agree. Chaos is chaos is bad. Okay. Bad. Okay. <laughs> Go with chaos. You're going to have a bad time. How many South Park memes can we get in here? Um, but the Imperium aren't like super nice dudes all the time no they're, they're not really bigger picture guys but at the same time i what is why i think i kind of like it is because it's human it's yes. real it's not these are the shining angels of goodness and that's evil it's there's a lot of gray yeah. in there which is very human yeah no for sure but 
the point of that being, he clearly, clearly has. Uh, I don't even know what you call them. Um, the legions formerly known as traitor legions, because or formerly known as loyalist legions. He has traitor toys. Yeah. So my concern is that so this is I see one of two outcomes. Either he's gonna create them and chaos is just immediately gonna be like mine, or he's gonna have them. And since Gulliman won't help him take over Mars, maybe Abaddon will. Oh. That's my concern, is that he's going to find someone who's like, oh, you want Mars? I got you, fam. Let's go. <laughs> Give me my Primaris Marines. And that's, on one hand, I was like, oh, I guess since the whole idea for Games Workshop is to, and that was actually why they broke Cadia, is that they hadn't really progressed the Chaos story in so long. So... I don't necessarily know that they want Chaos to win, but they do kind of want it to be tit-for-tat and mm-hmm. kind of balanced. Right now, it doesn't feel so balanced on the Imperial side to me, but now they have these Primaris Marines, you kind of have to balance it out with something over in Chaos' side, right? I guess. I mean, I'm fine with them not being around at all, but, you know, um, it's me and my newbie ways. Like, I don't want change, even though I'm brand new. Uh, I guess it's mainly because, like, I don't want, like, Uriel and to be last year's model, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so five minutes ago. Right? Well. Actually, more like so 10,000 years ago. <laughs> right. Well, so my husband actually just read a short story where I guess they talk about how they can upgrade people. So, because I was saying that, I was like, I don't want Uriel to be, like, outdated and he was like, well, I'm sure they'll give him an upgrade. I don't want him to get an upgrade. <laughs> I like that, that uh, gosh, that movie, uh, Robots. I haven't um, actually seen that one. Oh, you haven't? I think you'd really like it. Well, they Basically, they were forcing all the robots to get shiny new upgrades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of, it makes me feel like, well, we don't need to fix you. We'll just give you an upgrade. Right. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, darn it. The person who has been missing from several books now, Pisanius, has actually saying, I was like, well, from the descriptions of him, it sounds like he is the size of a Primaris Marine. He wouldn't need to get an upgrade. <laughs> they talk about how he had to wear, like, hollowed-out Terminator armor. Right. He to fit him because he was so damn big. Um, I don't want him to have to get an upgrade, but I guess... It goes back to that whole thing. I'm actually with you, and I've been here longer. I've been here 12 years, and I still... I don't like change. I just, I don't know. I like It's just going to take some time to grow on me, I think. I'm I'm understanding with Kadia. Again, newbie coming in. Like, oh, I don't have that attachment to Kadia. Because like you said, they needed to progress something. Because honestly, like, um, we hadn't really talked about um, a big happening in the books in a long time. Like, it was just, everything was kind of status quo. It was like, oh, don't worry about it, Carrie. Just, you know, keep reading these volumes, and eventually you can read Horace Heresy, and then you'll be all caught up, and it's all going to be good. But then right. this happens. Like, oh, no, this has triggered this whole new new era, which is yeah. cool, but it's like, do we have to change everything? Which I guess is, because, I don't know, because Gulamon, you would think he'd want to, no, we're going to go back, and he does want to go back, Mm-hmm. while changing everything it's 
it's right. very um, dichotomous. It is. No, in, totally. In, in that way. And it's, it's hard it's hard for me to wrap around. And it's mainly that, you know, that's one thing I loved about that chapter with Felix. And he's like feeling bad for Calgar. He's like, I wonder how Calgar is feeling about all this. Because yeah. he's even saying like, that would be hard oh, yeah. for me. That's hard for the readers. Like, why are you bringing all this in? Like, you made us like all these people, and now you're saying, oh, nope, they're outdated. Right. And I, I guess that was one thing that I kind of liked, and that's another part that's far-reaching, is that they, he had all these unnumbered sons, and he's eventually going to send them back to their chapters, right? So, but two questions come from that. One, how will those other chapters react to this? Because, I mean, I worked at a company, I mean, that's why I'm like sensitive to this. I worked at a company once where we were built on one technology and we decided we were going to build on a wholly other technology. And when that, when those developers came in, it was the most awkward lunch I've ever been at because everybody was doing the math and knew exactly what was going on. So I kind of feel like that's how that's going to be. Like yeah. when they show up and they're like, hi, we're your new brothers. Oh, okay. And we're the bigger and better models. So, Gulliman's not the only Primark coming back. A good, so, uh, first off, Korax is actually still in his tower doing God knows what for the last 10,000 years. Um, trying to make more of his legion. Um, him, Lehman Russ, just got up from a dinner and left and was like, I'll be back for the end fight. And he just, he did the diner dash. <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom and then never comes back. Yeah, it's like, you know, most dads. You went out for milk and didn't come back. Um, he, I can't imagine that Russ is going to be down with that. Like, when he comes back, I can't imagine that he's going to be like, hell yeah, since he read the Codex Astartes and was like, I'm keeping my 10,000 guys. None of this, none of this applies to me. Right? So, I don't know how the other Primarchs are going to react to this. Um, Vulcan lives. Uh, even though they cut off his head. Um, it's, you know, they, they glued it back on. Actually, it made sense how they brought him back. How they're going to bring him back. But, I mean, I, I don't, I feel like that's a conflict in the making. Right. But is it a conflict for the sake of conflict? Well, I guess if you're going to bring back Gulamon, um, she could kind of have to make new conflict. <laughs> I guess. Like, but that's my, I think that's the one, my biggest concern when I finished this book is I was like, oh shit, is the Imperium going to have infighting now? Because I don't. You may I mean, be re already... <laughs> her due for another heresy. <laughs> well, you know, they're about to, they're about to end it. You know, they're about to start, you know, the Siege of Terra. So those those books are, we got the beginning of the end. Uh, in in the process with with those books, so maybe it's time for like a whole. Right, it could be new era. It could be. That was a concern of mine. The other concern is that he reestablishes the five hundred worlds, and basically just done tells a bunch of people, you're now. Head back in our realm, and this dude's ruling you. Whoa. Yeah, what? the the Tetrarch thing was was crazy. I uh, think when I read that, I was like, "Oh my god!" 
Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I didn't hate about that was that at least he put in OG Ultramarine as a Tetrarch. Yes. He clearly was trying to... And he didn't make it Kato. Man, why you gotta hate on Kato Sicarius? Because he's an ass. He's haughty. No, he's an ass. <laughs> <laughs> a little arrogant. Anyways, um, he... I thought that was interesting. But what was interesting about it was that he was clearly trying to appease his sons. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else was just surprised that they were made a Tetrarch. Well, and the thing that's interesting about that is that he talks about how he has some of the Adeptus Custodes with him. And there's a scene, a couple scenes, in which, like, a person, like a human, or even an OG Space Marine, talks to one of the Custodes, and they're just really dismissive and disgusted. And he's like, yeah, these guys have forgotten that not only are these people the backbone of the Imperium, but you need to be a little sympathetic. Right. And then he goes and does that at the end of the book. So I was like, oh, oh God, which is another kind of way that they humanized him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you, you have no idea how these people are reacting to this, do you? Right. I don't think he cared. Like, I was going to say, at first I was like, oh, I don't think he knows how to read a room. But then they made it clear that he was like, don't care. Right. Well, the custodes, they have um, their own issues. (laughs) <laughs> that that they're going through. So I think that's also part of the reason why they're disgusted by That's true. By by humans. I think they're just pissed off in general. Just pouty. Yes, that's true. Um Yes. And uh, that was also sad though, when he talks about like how they've just kind of retreated further and further mm-hmm. and further. And, that kind of broke my heart, too, because like, oh, man. But see, that's actually something that um, Calgar addressed in Calgar Siege, because mm-hmm. he was there with his um, entourage, basically. And so, like, his, you know, his bodyguards were, like, disgusted by the humans, and Calgar had to tell them, um, this is who we serve. Like, have yeah. compassion, have a heart, understand <laughs> that they're not like us. And um, so, which is... Well, I liked seeing that echoed in Gulaman, but then, like you said, then it got kind of turned around at the end. But I think it's also because Gulaman has his own issues; he's still wrestling with yes, very much what happened so. with with his with his father. Yeah, very much so. Which and I I'm so glad at the end that he actually said what his father lied about because you know he's he's like because he talks about it he's like he lied. And then he glossed over like, what? What? What did he write right? about? Well, I was thinking, is this something that people who've read all the books know? <laughs> um, and I'm also glad he actually would remember uh, he went through his meeting with his father because he had that one in the beginning where he talked about, you know, he's lost his subtlety and he right. still has that psychic pressure. He still feels it in his mind. I was like, man, what does dad do? Just throw a psychic fit? Well, kind of. Well, they talk about in so they talk about in some of the Horus Heresy books they talk about how normal people can't really be in the Emperor's presence which also does not help the I'm not a god argument right so they talk about how just his presence alone because he's such a powerful psyker that his presence is overwhelming for normal people and that when he talks like there's a scene in which um, a regular and I can't remember which book it was in 
but they, I think, I think it's the first heretic when he goes and he chastises Lorgar. Lorgar is even like, oh my god, my dad's talking directly at me, and they, like all of his warriors are squirming because his dad's angry and yelling, kind of, and they're all like, ugh, you're upsetting a space marine. <laughs> Holy cow. But now it's you saying that makes me think of Dogma. Yeah, actually, kind of like that. Kind of Well, and you know, that was always in Greek mythology, too, right? Right, yes, that, which is why the gods had to disguise themselves, because they could not show themselves and speak to... Keyword there being gods. Yes. Well, this book, a big part of what this book wrestles with, again, is that godhood of the emperor. And... You know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. I mean, I... But I think... So... Alright, I'm going to wrestle something here. Okay, no, let's do that. Um, Theological. So, you're right. Um, so, the emperor, like you said, if he walks like a duck and talks like a duck, then he's definitely a duck. So, okay, so we're going to say he's a god, but at the same time... As Gulliman said, he's human because he makes mistakes. Okay. Right. So that depends, honestly, on what your thoughts of what a god could be. Because, you know, obviously in Greek mythology, the gods made plenty of mistakes. And they're kind of selfish oh. little assholes. Um, but if you're going to go, like, with Christian or Muslim religion, Allah and God are perfect. Infallible. They don't make mistakes. Correct. So it's, so as me as a Christian and reading this to know he's not a God and not because I'm saying, because I'm Christian and therefore there can only be one God and that's not him because I can read fantasy books and it's possible. But because he does make mistakes and not only that, but he's not all knowing. If he was all knowing, he would have, could have prevented Lorgar from doing what he did uh, right he would have known not to make Horus the war master right he was not omnipotent he's not all-knowing he would might have been right. all-powerful but he was not all-knowing so you get into that and plus like the, like you said makes mistakes he lied um like most religions you're the the god the divinity does not lie well did he lie or did he obfuscate the truth so like if you go back to the Garden of Eden story, right? Okay, you're talking about like the, the, the tree of life that, you know... Right, he didn't lie about it. He just left out like large pieces of information, kind of like with the Emperor. And that's one of the things that they kind of obviously... Like he talks, again, when Gulliman's wrestling with the fact that his dad let them call himself... The, it called them sons, and then he's like, actually, he never called us his sons. We call ourselves his sons. So... He was he lying, per se, or was he just kind of like? Well, I'm not talking about that. It's the warp craft. Right, right. Just spilled a drink all over my keyboard. Oh no. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, no, with the warp craft stuff, he, and that's one of the things that they wrestled with. They wrestled with in a lot of the books, and I hope that we're going to see a lot more of that, especially with Mortarian. Dang it, because he. And that's one of the ones that I wrestle with, too. Did he straight up lie about the warp? Or did he just 
really hide a lot of that truth and not share it. I don't know the answer to that one. And may maybe we won't because, well, the Emperor's not really in the talking mood. That's true, too. And I liked, so like, just like you are right now, I liked when Billiman was, I just had the page open and then I dropped my drink. Um, <laughs> I loved when he was wrestling back and forth. He says, theoretical, the emperor is a god and denied his own divinity to protect humanity. Practical, he is a god. And then he's like, no, that's not it. Theoretical, the emperor was always a god, but was unaware of it. Practical, he is a god. And then no. Theoretical, the Emperor became a god to protect humanity. Practical, he is a god. So I love the idea that... I love the idea that he's struggling with it. And I think it kind of makes us as readers kind of be like, I do not know. Right? <laughs> the this. Um, they also talk about how the Emperor has been guiding civilization since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. That he would appear in a form, obviously, right now, he's Duncan, telling everybody to use ten th two thin coats. <laughs> um, and so, this, I mean, that's, an, that's literally the definition of an immortal being. Right. So is he maybe just a fallible god? Like the Greek gods. Right, because again, as you said... But if he's really immortal, then he wouldn't need a thousand souls right. fed to him every day to stay alive. That's true, too. Right? So, is he some type of demigod? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Because we do know there are gods. There are absolutely gods in the Warhammer 40k. Oh, yes. Yeah. They just evil. Um, or they're the Omnissiah. We don't know what that is. We don't know what the machine so one of the books from the Horus Heresy basically like spells out that the, and I can't remember the name of it, it might have just been the Mechanicum book, basically spells out that the Emperor is the, just a portion of the Omnissiah. He's definitely the Machine God. Which I never liked, so I just ignore that book. Because it's kind of, I don't know. It's almost, well if that's the case, and you're saying that if they are saying that the Emperor was a piece of the Omnissiah, it's almost like they're hinting there is this trinity, like Christianity, or, um, no, it's just Christianity, I was like, or Muslim, no, just Christianity, you know, that trinity, you know, God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, was, is the Emperor the Son, or is he the Father? I. And then the other part of the Omnissiah, there is the, the machine spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very... I, I have to say, so when I was reading Calgar's Siege, I got this one line, and I could not believe I was reading this. Because it's, because when Calgar thought he was going to die, when the orcs were overrunning him, but he was, he was like the last man standing to hold off the orcs while they, uh, while he got basically a kamikaze pilot to come in to um, land on the, uh, the, the warlord, to, which would break up the, the wog going on. But he realized he thought he might die, and he looks up into the stars and he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So, like, can we get any closer to Christianity now, please? Because that's what Jesus well, said on the cross. 
When you when you die, you go to your the, the emperor's side. I know, but talk about verbatim. Oh yeah, <laughs> out oh, of the yeah. Bible. Oh yeah. Uh, it was just like I thought, like it was a mixture for me. It's like kind of cool and whoa, because <laughs> uh, obviously they believe. Well, but I knew that they believe that it's the God Emperor. They keep saying the God Emperor, right? And you and you told me that he constantly said he's not. And when I read that um, Gulaman's Primarch book, and he talked about you know the raising of this one world, and I was like, I don't understand what that is. And he's like, Oh, he's making an example of that. They're worshiping me, and I said no, and they kept doing it, so I had to kill them all. I'm like that's rational. <laughs> Makes right. Sense. Well, I mean that's. That's what he does with Lorgar, because Lorgar, they right. have this, his entire world becomes devoted. And the, the tragic irony of it is that he has all these cathedrals and he's using the Aquila everywhere as a religious symbol and they're praising him as a god. And of course, the emperor is like, uh, no. Only that, but like his legion it's, is called the word bearers. I mean, that's heavily in Christianity right there. Oh, yeah. But... He like the way that they describe the churches and everything that he's built that the emperor raises. That's basically what is the forty k religion. So Lorgar basically establishes the religion that will continue forward. Right, which is crazy. But to your point about like the um, the religious imagery, it's definitely I would think of the emperor as the father, the primarchs mm. as the sons. I don't know if maybe the machine spirits the spirit. I don't know, but. There's definitely that Gilliman especially. There were just maybe a few Jesus overtones to him. Oh, just what do you mean a few? Just a few. I mean, he what, came what back. Like that scene in the. He came back from the dead. I mean, how much more do you need? <laughs> well, but don't forget that his friendly Eldar girlfriend helped. Uh, yeah, he I had some help. I'm not getting that meme. Maybe I will in the next book, but because she's not even mostly she's not even in the book. She's like mentioned like twice. Yeah, well, she she helps resurrect him, and then she basically like tells him, basically gives him a sit rep about like this is what's going on. It's really crazy. You should help me, and I'll help you a little bit. But we kind of have our own thing going on, and he didn't kill her on sight, so everybody was like, you know, ooh, waifu. <laughs> it's the internet, Jerry. It's why we can't have all right, all right, all right. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, because they even talked about they were like, "You're gonna listen to her," and he was like, "No, I was taking what she was saying and wanted to see if any of it was true." And turned out some of it was. I mean, he never he never right. said she's 100 percent correct. It's like some of it was true. Um, and then they seemed cool with it. So I was like, okay, so where did this? Big titty El Eldar GF come from, and I guess you're just like, oh, well, internet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much the internet. Um, there's nothing like, there's nothing untoward about it. It just the internet totally latched onto that. Um, unless again, if there's some sort of story that I am unaware of, which they're like, these two really hang out a lot together and talk together. Uh, please let me know. Well, maybe it's in Plague Wars. <laughs> Well, so my husband has been, I mean, he's read like all of the portions that are taking place in this story so far. And because when I showed, when I first showed him the meme, he was like, calm down, guys. She just resurrected him. Okay. 
Right, so I was like, but you know, that's like a hardcore commitment in the internet. Like, yes. <laughs> but so that actually is a segue into another good question that you brought up is, what are our burning questions for next book? Um, right? Like, there's a laundry list. Yeah. Um, are we going to find out anything more about Call? Uh, are we going... Um, I guess, like, where's the Tetrarch thing going to go while they're in the middle of this war? Um, I'm really curious about what Gulamon's, um role is. Because, I mean, he was there. He's like, Mortarion's not here. Well, my time here is done. So I'm just going to point these people and peace out. I'm going to go find him. And it's like, well, what are, you, what are you doing? I guess the answer is whatever the fuck he wants is what, is what he's doing. Um... But what are their rules going to be? What's going to happen to Marnie's Calgar? Like, that's actually very important to me. Um, just because I felt so bad for him during, in, during the entire book. Um, what role are these Primaris Space Marines going to have? Are they going to get an even bigger role, especially now that Felix is a is a Tetrarch? Um, is, are they really, like, the up-and-coming future? Or is it going, are we going to find out that they have a flaw? And so we're going to have to right. go to uh, Belisarius' call and just wipe out everything he's done. Which I think is going to happen regardless. Ooh, do you? Yes. Because that could be another interesting... Again, when I was talking about how there's clearly going to be some sort of conflict there, that'd yes. be an interesting one, too. Right, and... um. I, oh, here's another one. Um, so, like, after... Uh, I assume that we're going to stop the, the Plague Wars eventually. I know it's... I think it's going to be a trilogy. Right. And I don't care if he ends up killing Mortarian or not. But... Because we gotta, we got to save... We, we can't kill the villain, right? I mean, we got to save him because we got to have him for future conflicts. This is how this works. Right. Uh, but I don't know if he can be killed because he's a demon prince. So... Oh, yeah. But don't they just go back to the warp and then come back? Um, yes, kind of. I mean, in theory, right, maybe if he loses Nurgle's favor entirely, because remember... Oh, that's true. At the risk of quoting Captain Marvel, what is given can be taken away. Right. So, so my big thing with that, too, is that I actually always liked Mortarion. He was one of the Primarchs that I always really liked. Um... There are several Primarchs I don't care for, or I just, I'm like, mm, they just kind of are there. I originally liked Mortarion. Um, I, that's a big concern of mine, is that there's clearly going to be, and I'm so excited. Like, it's not really a question that I have, but it's, I'm really excited to see him and Gulliman in the same room together. Because they haven't seen each other in 10,000 years. Well, right. It's only been like 200 for Gulliman. But <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a spell. Um, and, so I really want to see how those two. Right. Is it going to be this big showdown? Are they going to kill each other? But yet to your point, they need both of these guys for the end game. So how, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those things. They're going to fight. It's going to get really ugly. And then at the last minute, either they're both going to be pulled apart or one of them pieces out or something like that. Or does this bridge in to something bigger? Is this the start of the end game? 
Well, so that was going to be my question. Was not about him and you know Mortarian fighting. Was Fulgrim when he hears? Oh wait, he's not dead. I need yeah. to fix. I need to fix that. <laughs> right. I'm like oh, damn it. Right, and that which, well, like you said, could trigger the end game. Right. There's actually, I mean, all of those guys really. Actually, all of the still alive Primarchs who are in their end games, right? Um, that should kind of wake all of them up. Like, oh, wait, Gilliman's back? Shit. <laughs> now I gotta do something. Um, yeah, maybe Korax will come out of his tower and Lehman Russ will be like, wait, so, he's back? Another thing. He's been around for a hundred years. Why has, why why is why are people just now knocking on his door? That was one thing that I kind of had a complaint about. Like I understand that it's it's much more interesting narratively to see him after a hundred years when he's dealt with the wait. What do you mean my dad's a god? Because I I think it would be like an entire book of him just going what. Um, Honestly, I would have I would have actually I would have been cool with that. I kind of would have liked to see more of that honestly. Well, maybe there'll be short stories. Oh, that could be, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I that's my big burning question, is how are they going to solve this conflict between the two of them? In a in a satisfactory manner, so that it doesn't feel like, nope, there's like 20 more books we got to get out, so... I don't know if it'll satisfy anybody, <laughs> to be totally honest. Right? Or... Or does he legit kill Mortarian? And then we're like, oh shoot! Now Ty Typhus is the uh, now Typhus becomes the plague lord or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or do you like how I'm just like, I mean, obviously Reboot's gonna win. Um, or does Typhus like, kill him? Right. Maybe. Absolutely. Maybe. Maybe Gulliman has no chance of even getting to him. Right. Exactly. Maybe Mortarian plays himself. Um, Maybe his uh, adopted father's soul breaks out of the jar and uh, <laughs> does something. Can, can we talk about that for a second? Oh my god. I So that's actually a piece of... I don't know if that was previously established lore or not. That was the thing that I was like, oh! Like, I, I felt like the guy in the pitch meetings where I was like, oh, he does. He has that. <laughs> That, was, that part, I don't know why, but in that whole chapter, all of the stuff, because when they were talking about how there was a person inside of it, and he was like, oh, it can only be one person. Who? Oh. Okay. So you're going to talk about somebody who has daddy issues. <laughs> so, so many of the Primarchs do, really. Uh, perturbo much. Um, yeah. They all have some major issues, but that... Yeah! Oh! Okay. Again, I mean, you do you. Whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes to fuel the hate machine, I guess, but that actually shocked me. Quite a bit. Maybe that actually does literally fuel the hate machine on the ship. <laughs> Which, actually, the description of his ship was lovely. Um, yeah. When they talk about how, like, it's all... or And this is, again, this is the other burning question I have. Because they talk about how the ship is this organic, living, chaos thing. 
But then he gets into his portion of the ship, and it's dead blank metal, which is right. very Mortarian. He was a uh, no fuss, no frills kind of guy. And and I loved when they talked about how like the um, the previous observatorium was open to space, but it was fine because it's a warp ship and, or a chaos ship. It doesn't exist within our reality. So I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, is he really? He just, I didn't get the strong feeling that he was like, yes, Nurgle. Unlike Fulgrim, because in the beginning, I mean, Fulgrim was clearly like, dude, this is awesome. But maybe Mortarion was never a happy dude. Maybe he just can't find happiness. <laughs> Even in the arms of Papa Nurgle's love, he can't find happiness. Well, yeah, I mean, but I don't know what his motivation is. Like, okay, so Gulliman's back. Oh, okay, I guess I should just go mess with him. Um, he, has, he has that line where he has that line where he says, like, um, where is it? He has a line where he's like, think, where Ty, after Ty, Tyke is sass talks him he's basically like uh whatever i'm gonna get it done i'm gonna deliver another one of my brothers to nurgle oh and so is that his sole motivation like is is his motivation what's his motivation um is his sole motivation just to corrupt gilliman because all obviously all of the traitor marines and the loyalist marines had issues uh, and didn't really like one another. But I didn't like some of them really hated one another. Like some of them really mm-hmm. hated one another. I never really remembered. Um, yeah, I never, I never really remembered Mortarian and Gulliman just like having a beef. So it seemed well. It didn't weird. sound like they did. Because, like, when Gulan heard that, you know, the Death Guard had showed up in Ultramar, and he's just like, oh, okay. Like, there was not this burning desire. Oh, my gosh, he's here. I must kill him. But, you know, like, yes, he was, he wanted to, but it wasn't this, oh, I need to stop what I'm doing right now. Like, like, like what he did with Fulgrim. Where he's like, I'm stopping what I'm doing right now. I'm going to take care of Fulgrim. Now he's like, okay, you know, um, you guys just go ahead and go back. Deal with this. I got to finish here. And then I'll come back and I'll help find Mortarian and deal with him. It's just like, "Uh, yeah, that's a problem. I got to deal with it. Ah. So. um, Let's see. He, when he's talking with Kuga. He says, soon silence will reap the greatest prize of all, the death of my brother. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, jumping ahead. With Gulliman gone, the Imperium will be doomed. All glory to the generosity of Father Nurgle. It has been foretold. I shall make it so. Um, yeah, he says that Mortarion would weaken him, poisoning his mind, body, and soul, just as he poisoned the mind, body, and soul of Gulliman's realm. And then Mortarion would destroy his brother. So it seems like his whole motivation is just to kill Gulliman. Now, I don't know if it's because he knows that that's not wrong. I mean, Gulliman right now is probably the only thing that's going to kickstart the Imperium into where they need to be. If he dies, that would be a horrible blow. Would it, though? Yeah. I mean, they've been kind of going 10,000 years without him. Okay, that's valid. But... 
so you and I kind of had this conversation earlier talking about how there's a lot of dead Imperial Primarchs, or several of them are dead, right? More so than I think than the Chaos ones. Well, yeah, because the um, Chaos ones become demon princes, and so... Right, <laughs> even though they seem to be bringing them back willy-nilly. They're just... Vulcan was this type of immortal. Anyways, uh, I'm actually a little bitter about that, um, if you couldn't tell. And so... I don't know. I think I think it would be in a worse position if they killed him. I really do. Since he seems to be the only person who's like, all of this political nonsense that you guys are fighting over, nah, that chaos. All right, that that is true. You know, as as much as he is kind of upending everything, he's still the one who's coming in and is like, oh my god, this fighting stopped. Like, I don't care about your yeah. little piddly problems because this is just what's going to happen and you can't say no to me because I'm the Imperial Regent. I'm basically the Emperor right now. The only thing I don't have is the Astronomicon. Right. That's it. <laughs> Which, so that was another interesting piece of lore that they very casually dropped in this book and I remember you, because you texted me immediately and were like, what? When they talked about the world where Sanguinis sat as Emperor? Yes. So, there's a book um, in which my husband was telling me, because I haven't read it yet, but he gave me the summary of it before, because, you know, it's me. Um, and I knew this portion of history, but I guess they actually explain it. During the heresy, Goleman basically decides, he's like, okay, we need a backup plan. So we need to have, a, like, somebody to be the emperor when this fails. Because, you know, Goleman's a very practical man. He's a planner. And the first person who shows up is the lion. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and then they both agree that the next person who shows up is Sanguinis, and they're both like, oh yeah, Primarch Fabulous will be fine. <laughs> this will be just fine. <laughs> so he is briefly, basically the backup plan. But they just really casually dropped that in there, didn't they? So like, oh, yeah, we're Sanguinis is Emperor. Anyways. Right, because like, I was like, wait, wait, hold on. What? It's like finding out... That um, Nightwing was Batman for a while. He was like, wait, 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 when did that happen? <laughs> Actually, it's, I mean, it's even crazier than that. It would almost be like Barbara. If they were just like, oh, you know, back when Barbara was being Batman? Anyway. Like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> you can't just throw that out there. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a weird thing to throw out there. But as our final topic of discussion, we're casting a movie. Who plays for Boot Gilliman? Uh, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> like Dolph Lundgren from like 1986. Yes, I want the big muscular blonde guy. <laughs> okay, alright, yeah, that's fair. So if we're doing like our dream perfect cast, yes, 1986, Dolph Lundgren? Absolutely. Definitely the no fuss, no frills, let's just get it done <laughs> type of person. I would agree with that. Wholeheartedly. Um, he could play Space Caesar. Who do we cast as Felix? Hmm. I don't know. What does Felix look like besides big? Um, they really didn't give him a lot of explanation, description, did they? Mm -mm. I guess I kind of pictured him looking a lot like, probably more like Reboot than anything. They do just, they do say that he is, he has this typical um, ultramarine look. So, I don't know. Hmm. Who's another 
ripped blonde guy. Aside from Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, Chris, I I love the Hemsworth brothers, but they've had their time in the sun. We had we uh, ended up watching um, the 2015 um, Vacation. Oh yeah. Today I've never seen it before. Chris Hemsworth, you're a great actor. You cannot do a Texas accent. That depends on your life. I mean, if your life depends on it, you can't. It was awful. Like, the whole time Sean and I were like, this is so bad. <laughs> this is so bad. I mean, the movie's not that great to begin with, but his whole, every time he talked, I'm like, no, honey, just stop. <laughs> he, I only saw the previews for it, and I, he kind of talked like he was auditioning for an episode of Hee Haw. Like, it was, it was painfully twangy, if I remember. Uh, <sighs> It just, it was very obvious that was not his natural accent. You know, some people can, you know, delve into the Texas accent, you know, just fine. And it sounds natural, but it was like, it sounded like, which, if you ask someone from New York what Texas sounds like, that's what he did. Like, because they would probably come up with the, mo- the, the most hick, twangy right. uh, accent you could come up with. And that's really only a very small subsect. <laughs> in right. Texas and we don't like to talk about them um, but that's really what, it, what it sounded like so uh, I, I'm kind of done with Chris Hemsworth right now uh, gosh I don't know like maybe Matt Damon we're not casting Matt Damon okay fine I can't I can't hand no just just a hard pass no well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast Marky Mark as Pisanius, so take that. I'd be, I'd be down with that, actually. <laughs> He's too... Pisanius is too earnest. Marky Mark has just that... Like, even if you saw um, when he tries to play totally serious and no-nonsense in The Departed, he always has that edge to him. Mm-hmm. Just that... I don't think he can shake it. Um, I, I can actually see him as playing one of the characters from the Gaunt's Ghosts books. Um, he would make a wonderful Elam Rock. Fight me. Um, actually, you know who I was thinking about? I have to look up what is his name. If he bulked up, I could see Boyd Hallbrook being Felix. Um, okay, I don't know who that is, but that's not a surprise. You didn't see Logan and you didn't see the Predator. Mm mm. Um, see the first, don't see the latter. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think. And you didn't watch Narcos, because he was in Narcos. Mm, no. Killing me, Smalls. Sorry. It's okay. Um, I'm looking at his IMDb really quick. I don't think there's anything else you would have seen him in. Uh, but he could probably do it. He has the seriousness, the gravitas, but also the, you know... He could also have that earnestness to him, where he's clearly wanting to... Felix was just... He had such that... He was very serious... But he was also a little unsure of himself. What about... I know you don't like this guy. The guy who played Orem in Aquaman. Because he's got that serious military jaw and he's blonde. <laughs> Actually, I could see him playing Justinian. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Right, I could absolutely see him playing that. Um, so we're gonna have to put. Um, he's just such a milk toast actor. 
Josh Brolin in there somewhere, just because he's got the voice for it, and apparently you can make him look big. That's true. Um, oh. Maybe he could be Ventress. I was going to say, he's so adorable, let's just cast him as Uriel. Well, because, I mean, Ventress had dark hair. I mean, it fits. Yeah, and he can, they always described him as having a very craggy face. Mm-hmm. Um, as Cable, he looked pretty, I mean, he they, they got him to look pretty gruff. Yeah. Right? Um, I'd go with it. I love Josh Brolin. So, casting him as, you know, Uriel. <laughs> Alright, so who do we cast for Mortarian? Other than Willem Dafoe, because that's actually my first thought. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Early aughts Willem Dafoe is perfect as Mortarian. Well, well, I'm thinking of, like, especially, like, um, a horrible movie, uh, Speed 2 Cruise Control, Willem Dafoe. You mean the cinematic masterpiece? Of which he was robbed of an Oscar? I, I'm just kidding, that movie was terrible. Like, I didn't know that was ever a discussion. No, but, it okay. Terrible. It was absolutely terrible. No, it was Actually, terrible. if you ever saw it in, uh, if you ever saw him in... What's the name of that movie? It's the vampire movie where he plays Max Shrek, who was crazy. Uh, so they cast a crazy person to play an even crazier person. Um, no, you know, it's like casting, you know, a wealthy alcoholic to be uh, Tony Stark. So. Good point. Um, a Shadow of the Vampire. You ever see him in that? Yeah, he could be Mortarian. For sure. Um. Either him okay. or, I would say, um, Clancy Brown. No, I could absolutely see Clancy Brown as a Primarch, but not Mortarian. Um, I would actually be torn on who I would cast Clancy Brown as. Because like, if we're going like our dream cast from any era... Like Highlander era Clancy Brown. Well, so that's what I was thinking of. Was Highlander? Yeah, would be good as. Um... Well, current Clancy Brown would be wonderful as Rogel Dorn, but early like proto, I could absolutely see him being several. Maybe not of the nicer. Actually, I could see him being like Ferris Manus or something. Not Vulcan. Vulcan's Terry Crews forever. <laughs> I, I was going to say Conrad. Um, Conrad Cruz, but uh, Conrad Cruz needs to occurs. be somebody more broody. Actually, Christian Bale, Bale would have been perfect. <laughs> broody, yeah, but, yeah, but, happy, self-loathing. Yeah, but Christian Bale, like he only has like one voice. <laughs> hey, okay, the constipation voice wouldn't work for Conrad Cruz. Curse. Now I'm saying it. It wouldn't work for that. So. And I love Conrad, so no. But he would he would make a good night hunter. He really would. <laughs> Emo Batman. <laughs> uh, so the big question though, who would you cast as Marnius Calder? Oh Man, so we need we would need an older guy. <laughs> uh, very wise. Ugh. Right? Was it wrong? I would actually put in their Idris Elba, even though I, I know, think, even though I know Calgary is supposed to be blonde. 
No, I don't... Idris Elba... He also... I just knocked something over. He also has a little bit of an edge to him. Like, when he talks. Like I always think of him as um, Striker Pentecost from Pacific Rim. He has that gravitas. He has that leadership quality. But he always... There's always that something. Like, if you watch Luther, too... There's always something, still waters run deep with him. I always feel like there's an undercurrent to him, where I feel like Marnius Calgar, kind of what you see is what you get. He's more of the WYSIWYG person. Um, I don't know, though. Almost like, like I think of like, not him, but like Anthony Hopkins as um, Odin. Like having that type of—that's kind of how I picture him being more like. Oh, I got it. A little, maybe more a little more military. Oh, who? Ron Perlman. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, because you know that's a good idea. That's no, a great idea. Um, is there anything that Ron Perlman wouldn't be good at? Um, no. Yes. Uh, he was not good in this terrible show from the late 80s, early 90s called Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> my mother would oh. like to have a word with you. So would my mother. Trust me. <laughs> he did the best he could with the source material. That is true. Some of the... So my mother loved that show. Yep, same with and, mine. Uh, you could see that that was definitely very, very very junior George R. R. Martin. Um, some of the things that come out of Vincent's mouth, I'm just like... Harlequin note romance novel, anybody? Well, And I can say that because I read those. Well, I was... I was in high school and it was obvious to me that's what it was. <laughs> it was so schlocky. It's like, whenever I... You know, like, sometimes when you hear a word and you think of something and you're like, oh, this perfectly defines that word. Beauty and the Beast was schlocky. It was schlocky. Like, that word. That's the word. Um, My dad would always come in and ask if Catman was on TV. <laughs> then my mom would get mad, and he's just like, oh, he looks mad. Is he going to cough up a furball? <laughs> oh, so cruel. Oh, he was. He hated that show. Not wrong. No, it was not wrong. Not wrong at all, actually. Um... <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so I want Ron Perlman as Marnius Calgar. That would work. I, I would get on board with that. I would support that. You know who we totally, totally forgot? Maybe is Felix? Chris Evans. I hate to say it. He kind of is Captain America. Oh, damn it. Why didn't we think of Chris Evans? Probably because I was like, no Chris Hemsworth. Right. So I blocked out all Chris's. Well, I mean, to be fair, the Marvel guys, I think, already have their footprint on nerd culture. Do we need to give them another one? Chris Evans is really good, and he's, he's such a good dude. And he has that military. I mean, they picked him for Captain America for a reason. He has that face. Oh yeah, and he has that seriousness, but he also has that, you know, the humanizing. I think yes, very human, very. So he, he would. I think he would have the insight that Felix had. But here's the bigger question. Do we necessarily think this would make a good movie? Oh, hell no. This too much. I, I think, in ter when I think of, like, books that I've read that I'm like, oh, that would make such a good movie. There's just... 
too much going on here that I feel like they would have to do like a 10 page title crawl to be like the story so far. I don't know if Warhammer 40k would ever make a good movie. I don't even know if it'd make a good TV series. I do. I think there's a few books that like, there's a few books that just because like, there's snakes book is a good one. There's for so it. much history. There's so there's much a lot of history, but some of it, like one of the, like I think the second Ultramarines book, actually, mm-hmm. I think there'd be enough in there that you'd be like, you know what? I don't really need to know what's going on with this. I can go find that out on my own. Well, I mean, I guess so because it is just the Ultramarines, you know, fighting off a Tyranid invasion. Pretty much. It's basically giant spacemen fighting, fighting giant space bugs. People can, I mean, it's, Actually, when you say it like that, I guess it's basically Starship Troopers. But anyways, point being, uh, with Clancy Brown, um, the point being that I think you could very easily, I think you could easily make that one a movie, right? I think there would be enough that people could figure out on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is like... No. This, This to me... Would be like if you made a movie. And I'm, I couldn't recommend this to anybody who's never read Warhammer. Right. Or who was not even. Like, Ross is a good example. Our friend Ross, he knows enough about Warhammer that he'll, he'll be able to dive right into this. He might have some mm-hmm. questions, but mostly he'll be like, okay, I can figure this out, right? Um, same with Drew. I think Drew has enough of a tasting. Right. Like, but no, I would never give this to a person who had never heard of Warhammer and be like, oh, you'll love this. Well, Drew's actually read all of Eisenhorn. So, right, so, help right, so he does have somewhat of a grip, but I mean, because he's been talking to me about this a lot, he's like, oh my god, I can't believe he set the Tetrarchs and what he did to Calgar. You know, he doesn't read the Ultramarines, but even he knows that, you know, what they did to the Chapter Master it's is a big, big deal. deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were a few things, too, where I had to, like, with especially with the Primaris Marines, like, I would ask my husband, I'd be like, you know... I know that you've read other books with these. What's this? this that? And the other thing, and he, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's this, this, this. Oh, okay, cool, that makes sense for me. Because I'm still not as familiar with that part yet, because I'm still catching up on my backlog from a few things. Um, yeah, I don't know that it would make a good movie. No, absolutely would, not. And I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that I hate these books, and I am in no way comparing this to those books, but it would be like making the seventh or eighth Wheel of Time book into a movie. Why are these three women so happy that they're sharing one guy? Um, feminism. So, yeah. I guess that would... I don't think it would make a good one. No. No. Um, so tomorrow, I'm going to post our next book that we're reading as a teaser. But we are reading The Magos. Which is a very tiny book. <laughs> very small. Um, and yet still shorter than The Stand. <laughs> I think the only thing longer than The Stand is the unabridged Les Mis. Actually, it is longer than The Stand. Because so I think the unabridged Stand came in like at 1162 and it came in like at 1183. Well, see, my copy of it, the unabridged, is 800. Teeny tiny print. <laughs> Teeny tiny print. Teeny tiny like magnifying glass. Um... That's always my, that's always my, so for people who are new to us, that tends to be my, is it a long book? How long is it in relationship to it? Uh, Or the stand? 
Um, so this is really exciting. It's Stand Up Net. It's within the Eisenhorn book. So this is it's called the complete definitive case book of Gregor Eisenhorn. Um, so I'm excited because it sounds to me like it's just like a whole bunch of mysteries. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited, but mostly what I'm actually excited for a bunch of stuff for this book. But this is the first full length Eisenhorn book we've had in a while. There was there was a short story that I'm not super keen on. Um, I don't even know if I can recommend it. I'll. I've read it. Oh, the one with Elizabeth. No, is one about the painting. No, the the Elizabeth clone. No. As I said, um, <laughs> you know my feelings on cloning. Um, yeah, so that one I'm not crazy about, but this I'm really excited for this. Uh, and all of its brevity. So in the back, there's a full chronology <gasps> of Eisenhorn's life. So and how this kind of fits in there. Oh. That's kind of cool. Oh, look at that. Circa 480. I, uh, or 477. Beta Beckwin is born. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really neat, actually. That's really cool because... The Keeler image. That was the short story I've read. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So, this is actually really helpful because a lot of the book, this It lays out the Eisenhorn books and it lays out the Gideon Ravener books because... There were times when I was reading the Ravener books that I was like, where exactly does this take place compared to Eisenhorn? Because he would mention mm -hmm. his, what ha he would like say, make allusions to what happened to his former master. So, that'll be interesting. But so we will put up a post tomorrow uh, with where you can purchase the book and our questions that we're, the things that we're going to be thinking about and talking about when we're reading the book. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> well, I was like, so yeah, so it's 714 pages. Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, excited, actually. I, I think I need to uh, put down Blood of Ajax and come back to it. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's why I was actually glad I listened to the, and I'll put up a recommendation for this. I listened to the audio drama, uh, drama? Uh, drama. Perdition's Flame, it's one of their horror novels that they're really, their horror stories that they're really hyping. So good, you guys. So, I'll put up a recommendation for that as well. Would you like to close us out, Carrie? I suppose. Well, thank you so much for watching, listening, however you are getting involved in the Warhammer 40k of Book Club. No, we are not affiliated with Black Library. We are just doing this because we love Warhammer 40k books. And we like talking about it. So why not do yes. it in front of everybody? Yes, with an audience. That's right. So uh, we're going to try to do this, like Jen said earlier, like once a month. So we, uh, so this one, this podcast will be up April 5th, which is the first Friday of the month. And that's what our goal is going to be for the Magos will be the first Friday in May. So that'll, that's the schedule we are hoping to continue. Um I don't think we're going to read very many novels. Usually books this big are omnibuses. Or is yes. it Omnibuy? Whatever. I think it's Omnibuy. should be. It should be Omnibuy. But this one, but still, we're, we're, we're doing this. So hopefully this one won't carry, won't make us carry over. That's not the goal. See? Yeah, it's a um, yeah, little omnibus. omnibus. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, so you can find us. We are on 
uh, Apple Podcasts and and Google Play. If we're not up by the time this goes up and we're still just on the website, we will be very, very soon. Um, of course, the website is uh, wh40kbookclub.com. You can also find us on Twitter at wh40kbookclub. It actually made it very nice and simple for me. Yeah, really. And... We're on YouTube. Yes, this is on YouTube. Hey. That's right. Uh, we're not able to get a vanity name just yet. <laughs> so the link will be will be in, in the bio as well. Subscribe and like, and we will be able to. And won't that make all of your lives better? I would think so. I mean, who doesn't oh. want to see us talking about more Warhammer? I, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer. It's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> So, and with that, we're going to sign off. We got some, we got some readings to do. Just a little bit. And I guess I'm just going to leave off with saying courage and honor, in honor of the Ultramarines. We read from a crag. <laughs> we read from a crag. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> As we read this, we must remember we know no fear. That's why we're reading a book this thick, because we know no fear. Yes. <laughs> It, it could be it really could be or, or like a or you know you just swipe it across a bunch of paper cuts death by a thousand paper cuts right there <laughs> or at least yes. or at least 714 <laughs> all right good night everybody mm-hmm.